I want to dive deeper into that question. I mean, who am I? Uh, if you ask that question, you almost have to ask a follow-up. Who can I be? How can I know who I am or what I'm supposed to be? And it really comes down to one word, identity. So I want to start there. Welcome to Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast this week. And I had plans to do a podcast with a buddy of mine, with my cousin. You've heard him on the podcast before, actually, um, about accountability and and to really dive deep into some of those issues. And uh, unfortunately, I don't want to bother him this week due to some family issues. So uh, taking a different route, uh, something that I was looking at for later, but God really opened the door. Uh, this week to really dive into it. Uh, something I've been thinking a lot about recently is who are you? Or who am I, I guess, uh, might be a better way for that to be presented. But, you know, I know that as followers of Christ, as Christians, we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, right? Uh, we can talk about the scripture and and all the different things that tell us how to live and and in which way and all the things about making us who we are uh, in him. But I want to dive deeper into that question. I mean, who am I? Uh, if you ask that question, you almost have to ask a follow-up. Who can I be? How can I know who I am or what I'm supposed to be? And it really comes down to one word, identity. So I want to start there. Well, if we look at the Bible and we just open it up from the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 5 all tell us that we were created in the image of God. It says that God created man in his image, male and female. He created them in the image of God. So we know that we are told that we are created in the image of God. And if you've been listening, you've heard me recount that multiple times recently and then there's this genesis 3 where sin enters the picture and as i've talked before uh you know and and i talk on a number of different occasions in different areas so i'm not sure if if i've mentioned this here but i will say that sin entered the picture in genesis 3 when eve partook of the fruit but really, she added to God's words prior to that. Um, Adam partook of what Eve did, and both found themselves having knowledge that they were not to have. It's not that God made a mistake. It's that man circumvented God, and man subverted God, and man decided. You know, really, it, it comes down to the, the sin that we commit daily is to be like God and take control of our own lives. Uh, it is what, for lack of better comparison, Satanism is. Satanism is about being God, your own God, right? Um, but when we think about this and we look at this and we go down this route, I want you to understand something. Uh, as we talk about this today, sin is something that constantly is taking place in our lives and why does sin exist well sin exists because the devil wanted to steal kill and destroy that which god had created that is the ultimate reason you know 
Jesus tells us that he the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the purpose that he is trying to accomplish on this earth is to bring as many away from God as he possibly can. His goal is to destroy God's creation. Is it possible for us to live godly? Yes, Enoch did. We, we are told in Genesis 5 that Enoch did live a godly life. Enoch was living in a, an evil time, and we see that Noah was saved because of his faith. We know these stories. We've talked about these stories. But even after all of this, what does the scripture say about us? Well, God saved Noah and his family. But in Genesis 8, 21, what does God say? God himself says, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, we are evil. Folks, it's not because of anything God put in us. We are evil because of the sin which has overtaken us. We are evil because we have bought into the lies of the enemy. We are evil. Jesus himself said it. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil. So what does that mean about us? It means we are enemies of God. So if we're trying to understand our identity, let's start at that beginning. And recognize that we, who are we? We are enemies of God. We are sinful. We are dead in sin. We, we want to, however, buy into a story that we are in somehow control and able to build our material prosperity on this earth. But what are we selling to get there? You know, it's in Jeremiah 29, 11, That's what it's talking about, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's all about material prosperity, right? Because that's what the world would have you to believe. That's what the prosperity gospel would have you to believe. What does Jeremiah 29, 10 say? After 70 years in captivity, then the Lord gives that prophecy to Jeremiah. It means that after the 70 years of captivity, I know the plans I have for you. But it doesn't mean we're exempt from the consequences of our sin. It doesn't mean we're exempt from the things that the world would like us to believe we are in control of. So who are we? Who are we? Well, sinners. We are every description of sin in the scripture. We collectively are the sexually immoral, the liar, the murderer, the thief, the corrupt, the one who falls short, the one who is the enemy of God. We are sinful. There is nothing about this material world that can bring us to the fulfillment that God can. There is nothing in this world that can please us like Christ. And there is nothing that can take his place in our lives. And the reality is, is that we are striving after worldly things, trying to put worldly meaning to things. We are changing God's word daily to try and fit some kind of narrative that makes us feel good about the life we are living. What are the lies we are telling ourselves? Well, God understands. God fully understands who you are. He created you. Yes, he understands who you are. That does not mean you do. Plain and simple. 
We are dead in sin. We are enemies of God. And honestly, uh, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.18 that we are darkened in our understanding. He says that we do not understand because we are darkened to our sinful nature. Uh, he tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we are living in spiritual blindness. We, we can't even see who Christ is because we are living in spiritual blindness. Look, we have a problem and honestly, we can't fix it. We cannot fix the problem. Ouch, right? How then are we to move forward? How knowing who we are, are we to move forward? How can we figure out um, maybe even better about who we are? Because that doesn't stop there. I'm, I'm not doing and saying all of this for us to get wrapped up in this and say, well, then, you know, there's no hope for me. You're right. There is no hope for us in ourselves. But we do need to understand who we are. John Calvin in uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion made two assertions that I, I would like to throw at you real quickly. Number one, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Number two, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Now, what do those assertions mean? Well, Proverbs 1, 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the beginning of knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord. It begins there. Now, for us to understand this, we also have to understand what does it mean to be fearful of God. What does it mean to have a fear of God or a fear of the Lord? Well, it's not necessarily being afraid of God. It means more as in reverence and, and awe for the power of God. It means to recognize God for who he is. Jesus in uh, Luke 12 even tells them, he says, why do you fear man? who once death comes can do no more to you, but fear God who after death can condemn you. That's who you should fear. What we recognize, A.W. Tozer even said, um, he said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, what do you think about? Do you think about God fitting a mold? filling your box that you've made for him or do you think about surrender I mean, we can go deeper and we're going to go deeper in this but maybe just stop for a moment even if you have to hit pause and think real deeply when you think about God what comes to mind it might tell you what the most important thing about you is look we must fear God because without a fear of God we are lost we are lost. If we do not fear God, we are lost. That's something we need to understand. Without that reverent fear, without that awe of his power, without that reverence to who he truly is, we are lost. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We see that in the recounting of the story of Enoch in Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, talking about Enoch walked with God and was no more, and Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Enoch was rewarded for his faith in an evil time. Remember Genesis 5:24. I told you Genesis 5 we hear the story of Enoch and I brought him up earlier. Enoch without faith it is impossible to please God. Enoch pleased God so much so that he walked with God and was no more. He was taken out. There's a lot more to the story of Enoch. There were warnings. There were things that Enoch had warned them about. He even named his firstborn son when he dies judgment. 969 years later, Methuselah dies. And there's a flood on the earth that judged the people and only Noah was saved. Look, truth is that we learn more about ourselves by getting to know God than we do when we reject him. We are created in his image. In the image of God, we were created. Male and female, we were created. Created in the image of God. So back to our sin. The sin that divides us from that image of our creation. It divides us from the creator. A sin that divides. A sin that makes us unable to fix these things ourselves. We cannot fix these things when we are wrapped up in sin. Truly, we can't fix them ourselves anyway because we are sinful. Remember, we are evil. There's good in us, maybe. We, we do good for others even though we're evil. But there's nothing but evil within us. But even a man who is evil will give good gifts to his children. So how much more will God give to those who love him? Look, all of the gospel is only going to lead us to the evil we are. There's, there's a couple ways we can read the scripture. If we're reading a gospel and lying to ourselves about who we are and not recognizing the sinful nature that is within us, we're going to read this gospel that tells us that we're going to, to win. And we are. But we've got to understand something here. All the gospel truly will do is reveal our evil nature. It will reveal to us how sinful we are. If we truly read the gospel through spiritual eyes, we will see the sinfulness within our lives until we have a filter with which to read it. And that is the filter of Christ. We have to read it through the spirit to see the truth about what it says. And it seems foolish to the ways of the world. The world will see foolishness in God's word and they'll never understand. That's why people reject it. That's why when you try to share the gospel through the, what you've seen spiritually through the word, when you try to share those words with others and they do not see the truth of it, they see it as foolishness. They do not see how in the world they would rather not read it, not study it. You know, that whole ignorance is bliss thing. They would rather not hear about it because they don't want to come to terms. The gospel is light and that light shines in the darkness and exposes the darkness. They don't want to know. It's foolishness to the world. We either continue to profess our faith, pushing and in some ways changing the boundaries that scripture sets for us, saying that we just do not understand that God could mean what he says and we become lost in translation and, and we try to change everything about it so that it fits how we feel God should be in our own human understanding, which is not the way it's intended to be, or we give up 
like many do, they give up on it. They just walk away from it. They push it away. And they reject the only one who truly knows them better than they know themselves. The one who created them in his image and knows why they were created. We're all created with a purpose. He told Jeremiah, you're created with a purpose. And and he told Jeremiah that before he was born, he was created with a purpose. And yet here we are and we look at this. We we get to this point. There's there's a couple of ways. One, we just accept that we're evil and we move on. Which is the way of the world in many ways. Uh, if you've ever heard anybody make the statement of, I'm, you know, I'm, we're all going to hell and I'm driving the bus and stuff like that. That's not a place we want to be. That we should never be in that place, uh, you know. But it's closer than the gospel that we've come to accept as the normal in our churches today, because in our churches, we think we're not evil. We think we're not lost. We think that we're not spiritually dead. We think, therefore, we are right. Not quite. Not quite. And this is, again, going back to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, the uncomfortable podcast. This is intended to make us uncomfortable to think about it in this way. But just because we think doesn't mean we are just because we think we are doesn't quite mean that we truly are. Listen, we think and we push away the truth for lies. We think through this in our earthly mind without putting trust in God, without reading the scripture, without studying. We we go and we find a verse here and a verse there. And, and honestly, the fact that we can use the Internet to search the Bible and we can search for verses that contain such words and we don't read the context, we just share the verse. We get wrapped up in those things. We push away the truth for the for the lies. We push away the truth of the gospel for the hope of a worldly gospel, for the hope of a misunderstood gospel. The worldly gospel, the prosperity of the world, right? The, the worldly gospel says this. It says, God loves you. He wants you to prosper. He wants to give you everything materially you want. And if you say you love him and you follow this preordained set of steps, then you too are saved. And you can live as you want, but you, you know him, so you're saved. Folks, Living as you want is not salvation. If it, if the gospel doesn't change your life, you are not saved. If the gospel isn't causing you to live in a way that causes the world to question, you are not saved. Listen, if you are living in a worldly way and saying that you're saved, you're no better than the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Just because of what you say, it has. It, it, it's going to change your life. You will want to be different. You will live different. The Bible says we are sinners. We are not okay. The Bible says we are evil to the core. And it says we deserve death. We are dead in sin. We are in need of a savior. We are in need of the savior. The only one. Christ. Otherwise, we are nothing more than mockers of God. And if we do not understand that today, we are mocking him with our gospel and we are 
we are headed down the wrong road. We cannot fix ourselves. We will never be able to fix ourselves. And that's the lies of the society that we live in today is that we can change this policy or we can do this thing or we can make this thing happen and it will change the world for everyone. No, it won't. All we do is fall farther and farther down this rabbit hole trying to fix something that we were never intended to fix. We are sinners. And there's only one who can fix it. And that is God himself, the creator, the one who created it and knows what it was intended to be. Just because we say, well, God didn't intend this and God didn't intend that doesn't mean we're right. And it also doesn't mean we're wrong. We've got to understand God may not have intended. He definitely didn't intend the world to be the way it is. Sin has made the world the way it is. And yet we still want to follow the ways of sin while putting human understanding to a godly purpose. We want to put human understanding to godly planning. We want to put human understanding to godly provision. These are the things that we are failing at. We're failing ourselves. Look, we cannot fix ourselves. Evil cannot manufacture a version of salvation. God has to open our eyes to the evils of this world. And God alone can set us free. God alone will bring us into freedom. And what does that freedom look like? Enter Christ. Enter Christ. It is why he came. It is why we have a chance. But we cannot change the narrative. We cannot do anything but follow the instructions. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard or read anything by David Platt. But David Platt wrote a book called Radical. And in the book Radical, he reminds us and recounts the prayers of Jesus in the garden. And he presents this idea of when Jesus prays, take this cup from me, that he's not talking about the cross. And I, I tend to think this way and understand this way right now. It's the cup of wrath that is promised to be poured out for the sinner. The cup of wrath that will be poured out on the sinner that we must drink from. Jesus isn't talking about taking the cup from him in the terms of the cross. Did Jesus want to drink the cup of wrath? Absolutely not. Why? He feared the wrath of God. He knew what the wrath of God would entail. But then Jesus took and drank fully the cup of God's wrath to save those whom he prayed for from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those that he prayed for in the garden, those that did not understand the effects and the consequences of their sin. Jesus took the consequences of our sin. Who are we? We are sinners. Who are we? We are evil. Who are we? We are deserving of the wrath of God. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the one that drank the wrath of God so that we didn't have to. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who drank of the cup that was intended for you and I. He drank our cup. He faced our wrath. And we reject this when we push aside the truth of the gospel for the fairy tale of prosperity. 
that prosperity that that we are in search of the prosperity that we want to talk about jeremiah 29 11 says to me that god is going to give me all these good things and he's not going to harm me it's not what it says god is writing to the nation of israel who is going into captivity god is preparing them for that captivity in hopes that some will remain as a remnant that some will prosper through it when it's over with but what god is saying is after that 70 years of captivity you will find prosperity what is life life expectancy is about 70 to 75 years right once we experience the captivity of this life there is prosperity that awaits for those who remain faithful for the remnant of god who are we we are sinners who have been offered a gift through grace and mercy through the blood of christ and we are in captivity to the sins of this world we are in captivity to the babylon of this world and it's a captivity that we must remain faithful through knowing that we will face the consequences of our sins knowing that we will face the troubles and the trials and the tribulations of this life knowing that we will go through these things but there is a promise of prosperity beyond that we must understand this we must repent we must call on him if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven forgive their sins and heal their land who are we we are his created in his image we are children of god and we have been created with a purpose and we have allowed sin to divide us from everything we were ever created to be. Who are we in sin? We are evil. But who are we in Christ? We are created to be the fullness of his plan. Who are we in Christ? We are to become like Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. Who are we? Salvation delivers us from the captivities of this world. Salvation delivers us to this place that we can find hope in Christ. Nothing we do can bring us to salvation, but there's hope in Christ and salvation in Christ. And it's all in Christ. Who are we? We are his if we do not reject him. Who are we? We are delivered from the captivity into a freedom to surrender to the one who gave his life for us, the one who created us, the one who knows better about us than us, the one who knows the plans that come after captivity. But as long as we live in captivity, those plans are not ours. The prosperity is not ours. Our prosperity is in Christ and Christ alone. That is where we find hope, rest, and opportunity today. So are you willing to be who you've been created to be? Are you willing to fulfill a purpose today? Who are you? You are his. And who can you become? Whatever you want to be. No, that's not it. 
Who are you? You are his. Yes, that's true. Who can you become? It's not who you want to be. It's who he wants you to be. You can become the fulfillment of what he has for you. We were created to become the fullness of his plan. There was a purpose for us. For Jeremiah, it was to be a prophet to Israel. For Noah, it was to captain an ark. For Jesus, it was to go to the cross and offer his life as a sacrifice. For the disciples, it was to preach the gospel. How can we know who we are? We can ask. We can seek. We can knock. Knocking the door will be open to you. Seeking you will find. Ask who you are. Ask God who he created you to be. Ask God to reveal those plans to you today. But know this. He cannot reveal those plans until you have put aside the ways of this world. The salvation needs to come through the blood of Christ. Until we repent. Until we realize that we are in captivity until we reject the captivity and we trust in him to deliver us until we put aside captivity for the freedom of surrender to God we will never understand who we are and let's go back to what John Calvin said you know a couple things one without knowledge of ourself we will never have knowledge of God. And number two, without knowledge of God, we will never have knowledge of ourselves. We need to know who we are, what we were created to be. But because we were created in the image of God, there's no understanding without both. We must find knowledge in him. But the ways of the world are foolishness. And to the world, God's plans are foolish. It is a struggle that we will go through every single day. But when we recognize who we are, we are sinners. We are evil. We are that one that falls short. We are that murderer. We are those sins in the Bible. We are the sexually immoral. We are the liar. We are the fornicator. We are those things. But then it finishes with we are his. Because he offered himself as our atonement, the propitiation of our sin. He took it up on himself. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that we might receive the gift of God. It's nothing we did on our own, but everything that he has done for us through, uh, through Christ and will continue to do in us once we stop rejecting him. And we reject the ways of this world. Who are you? I don't know who you are. But that is a question we need to answer today. We are his ultimately. Yes, that's really where I stay. But I don't know who you are today. Are you that sinner who has now been saved by grace, who has been freed into a life of surrender to him? Or are you still struggling along trying to overcome that sin on your own? Look, if you stand before the throne today and you say, I was a good person, 
that good person's not going to get you in. If you stand before the throne of judgment today, none of us know what tomorrow holds. I, I truly hope that when I stand before the throne of judgment, to hear those words, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. You remained one of my remnant. You remain faithful through the storm, through the struggle, through the trial. You didn't buy into the lies of this world. You remained. How do we do this, though? Well, I want to wrap it with this verse. Colossians 3, 23 through 25. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people or not for man, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There is no favoritism. If you are the wrongdoer, you will be paid back for everything you have done. But in Christ, he has taken the blame for our wrongdoing. He has taken on him the wrath, the cup. He drank fully of the cup that was intended for you and I. That in him we might have life. So today, recognize you are his. Recognize your purpose is to work unto the Lord. To do his work. To do everything as unto him. Whether you eat, drink, whatever. As Paul told the Corinthian church. Do it unto the Lord and not for man. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance. We're made joint heirs with Christ. How beautiful is that? Just a few verses earlier, Paul told the Colossian church as well. Whatever you do in work or in deed, do it as unto the Lord. We are not working to please man. Who cares if we please man? The ways of God are foolishness to man, so why would we want to please man? But yet we become so wrapped up in the ways of this world that we forget to recognize who we are, or maybe more importantly, whose we are. Who are you? I hope you know the answer to that question. I do thank everybody for listening, and I just followed where the Lord was leading me today. We're going to close it in prayer, and I hope that this has helped you this week because this is something that I've had to struggle with and go through in my own mind for weeks now. So let's take it before him in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you have made these promises to us in your word. But God, I pray that we would recognize how sinful we are today. If we're trying to live lies, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth, the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word. Help us to recognize that we are nothing without you. God, I pray that you would alert us to these things, that you would open our eyes to these sins in our lives, and that, Lord, we would recognize we're either a slave to sin or you have freed us to surrender to you there's no other way about it but God help us to understand you so that we can understand ourselves help us to learn more daily about you to open your word to read to pray continually to rejoice in you always Lord help us to be what you've called us to be to live in the purpose you created us to live in go with us lead us and direct us Lord we pray this in your holy name. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in with the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. You can join us each week. We try to get an episode up by 12 noon every Friday. and We are very blessed to be able to bring this to you. Hope that you can find peace where the wild things aren't. Listen on wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow it. Click it to download so you can get the newest episodes. And again, we thank you for listening to Where the Wild Things Aren't.